Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Katie Bulls and James Forsyth. Last night, news broke of another party held in number 10, this one on April the 16th last year, on the eve of Prince Philip's funeral. Katie, can you give us the details of what happened? It was first reported in The Telegraph, and tell us about the fallout today. Yes, this is two parties allegedly held on the same night. One was a leaving do for a photographer, one was a leaving do for James Slack, former director of communications in Downing Street, now deputy editor of The Sun. And amongst the various details about these two parties, so one had a farewell speech, the other involved a disco, we understand. Eventually the two parties merged. A swing was broken, that is Wilf, the Prime Minister's son's swing. And also when I think they ran low on alcohol, the claim is that they um, sent one person out of a suitcase to fill it with wine. I presume that is just so you didn't see someone walking in with, you know, 12 bottles of wine when there's obviously snappers often outside Downing Street. But we don't know the full explanations, that's just speculating. Why is this bad? Well, the rules at the time were that you couldn't socialise indoors. It was um, outdoors. I think there was a number limit on that. So by having these, you know, drinking events inside, and particularly, I think, dancing. I remember having a wedding not too soon after where you weren't allowed to dance at any weddings because they said that was dangerous, but yet you have Downing Street staff having a disco. Um, So I think... Particularly, the problem in terms of optics is clearly the fact this was on the eve of Prince Philip's funeral, and there was a very poignant photo um, which led most of the newspapers and still is used today of the Queen sitting alone at her husband's um, funeral. And I think we're getting to the point now where it's almost um, if you're looking at the various groups Downing Street are managing to annoy or get on the wrong side of with these various Downing Street party stories or party gate, I think. And getting to the territory where you can be accused of being disrespectful towards the Queen or the royal family is one that's particularly chiding with Tory MPs today. Um, I think it's worth pointing out that the Prime Minister did not attend either event. He was understood to be in checkers. But clearly, when we're expecting Sue Gray's report, which could come out Tuesday next week, to talk about this um, culture of you know drinking, grey areas, Downing Street drinking culture, this plays into that. And um, you're seeing the opposition, lots of Labour politicians are just Philip saying ultimately this does come from the top even if he's not there and um, because uh, people ask you know well if Gordon Brown was Prime Minister of Theresa May would they have let all these things happen or would someone draw a line much earlier on? James things aren't getting any better for the Prime Minister is there any sense of how things are inside of number 10 at the moment does it feel like they have much of a plan to get on top of this or are they sort of reeling from these so it's not, number 10 have been building up the Grey Report for quite some time. If you look at all of those kind of cabinet ministers' tweets, they all say basically, wait for Sue Gray's report. Now, why are they so keen to wait for Sue Gray's report? They're so keen to wait for Sue Gray's report because the remit of Sue Gray's report is, is quite limited. And it is, it is, I think, worth stressing, this is not the kind of Hutton report of a Chilcot inquiry. It is going to set out what happened rather than kind of pass... Judgment. There's not going to be a sentence in this report that says the Prime Minister should resign. There's not going to be a sentence in this report that says the Prime Minister knowingly broke the rules, because that, that's kind of not what it's, not what Sue Gray has been, kind of not what the remit of the report is. And so I think their aim is when the report comes out to kind of flood the zone making those points and 
I think it is very, very hard to imagine how some people stay in their jobs once a report comes out. You know, for example, Martin Reynolds, who sent the infamous bring your own booze email. And, and they basically say that the report says, you know, the report doesn't say the Prime Minister should resign. We've cleaned house. People have gone. Time to, you know, time to move on. I think what, what is the challenge to that is, and why I think this latest story about the, the party on the eve of Prince Philip's socially distanced funeral matters is, you know, is the level of public anger simply too great for that to happen? And I think what you are, I think this weekend is significant because Tory MPs are back in their constituencies for the first time since these revelations happened. And I think a lot of them are getting an earful from their local associations suggesting to them that they should do more. Um, one member of the government payroll was telling me you know, he's coming under proper pressure to do this. And I also think there's an kind of interesting little straw in the wind, which is worth watching, which is the Sutton Coalfield Association executive last night passed a kind of 10 to 0 vote of no confidence in Boris Johnson. Now, you can say, oh, look, you know, Andrew Mitchell, who is the MP for Sutton Coalfield, has been kind of has been menacing about what will happen if Boris Johnson can't get a grip. So maybe you should... But, but I think it is a large association. And, and it is also true that anecdotally you are hearing things like this. Now, it is worth remembering that there are, there are two mechanisms for the removal of the Tory leader. One is the 54 letters to Graham Brady. The other is actually, I think ultimately, I don't know what Katie thinks, but I think ultimately what did do for Theresa May in a way is the prospect of getting 65 associations to request a kind of special conference which can then vote on the leader. Now, that vote isn't binding, but you would be broken backed as a Tory leader if you tried to carry on without the support of your of your party in those circumstances. So I, I think that I think that one of the key things to watch over the coming weeks is you know, to what extent do Tory associations put pressure on their MPs? And you know, don't don't forget, you know, one can say it shouldn't be, but for a lot of people politics is about self-preservation. And Tory councillors are up, lots of Tory councillors are up for elections in May. And one sentiment I'm picking up from people is, is, you know, people saying to their MP, like, why do you want to wait until after I've lost my seat in May to work out whether the public are upset about this? I can tell you they're upset about this now. So why don't you act now? And I might have a chance of saving my seat. Katie, five Tory MPs have now said the Prime Minister should go. And I think around 25 Tory MSPs. Is this story going away, the fact that Conservative MPs turning on the Prime Minister? It looks like that's quietened down a bit today, at least. So I think it depends how you judge it. I think, in a way, this idea that if nothing immediate happens, you know, also the situation cools down, Boris Johnson is in a much better place. I don't quite agree with it. I think what we've seen was there was always an expectation when MPs returned from Christmas holidays that the May local election would be a crunch point. When this email broke, published by ITV News on Monday, the calculation changed for many. Something I wrote, I've written about in the magazine this week, and some said they want it sooner rather than later. It's always the case that even that group want to wait for the Sue Gray report. So having a handful of MPs call for Boris Johnson to go pre the Sue Gray report is potentially a sign of things to come. I think that it, if you look at the figures there, they all are critical of the government in some way. They don't actually all have that much in common. I don't think G- Jacob Rees-Mogg can actually say that all Remainers, as some have been the suggestion, there are actually a couple of Brexiteers thrown in there. But it's almost a motley crew. I think what's one to watch is if that number goes up after the Sue Gray report, 
But even if that doesn't happen, I think the more worrying thing for Boris Johnson effectively is just speaking to quite senior figures in the party and in government. These aren't people who are, you know, really out to get Boris Johnson. Many of them backed Boris Johnson, quite keen to support him, whether, you know, it's before the leadership or after he became Prime Minister. There just seems to me to be a general view that a leadership election is more likely than not at the moment, at some point this year. And it's almost a fool's game, much as it might be the job of us to kind of guess exactly when. Even if you don't get more letters coming after the Sugo report, I think what's more critical is how Boris Johnson is perceived by the general public. Because right now, I think one of the really big problems with Boris Johnson is that this is a Boris Johnson scandal. Partygate is so about Boris Johnson and 10 Downing Street. It's very specific to his leadership. And that's why if it starts to, you know, if it doesn't die down, if the dissatisfaction stays, there are Tories who worry it's going to become a Conservative wide scandal and do permanent damage to the brand. And I think with Boris Johnson's own approval rating, so YouGov, have that Boris Johnson is more unpopular than Theresa May was as Prime Minister and is closing in on Corbyn's low point. Now, Boris Johnson is said to be the Teflon politician, moves up and down. But if that doesn't change, then obviously he starts to get very vulnerable in a few months' time. So I think, as James says, I think it's completely correct that obviously looking at what the um, you know Tory councils are saying is key. But ultimately, I think the best case scenario for number 10 is that they you know, limp on to next week, the report comes out, they manage to say, you know, it doesn't do anything directly against Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson culls large members of Downing Street to say he is doing something different, tries a few policy announcements, and they hope that in the months to local election, the subject of conversation changes. Expectations are already so low for local elections. A, you know, an okay result, you say, is actually a triumph, and you move on from there. But that really relies on public anger melting away. And that's why I think keeping an eye on the polls is probably the easiest thing to do. James, there was another big story yesterday about a woman named Christine Lee, who MI5 said was a Chinese spy with close links in Parliament. Who, who was Lee and what was, what was she after? She gave donations to lots of politicians, but in particular Barry Gardner, for whom her son worked. And I think the idea was that, that she was... <laughs> this is a subtler thing than, than classic kind of espionage with a secret camera and, you know, all that kind of thing. She was clearly seeking kind of influence and understanding of British politics and that she could feed back to uh, the government in Beijing and also an ability to kind of try and steer MPs in certain directions or, or otherwise. I think it is an interesting loophole in the law that the government don't think that she can be deported. I also think it highlights a kind of vulnerability in the, in the, in the system. I think there are very few people who think that, I think China is a particular and specific threat, but I think there are very few people who think that China is the only country that spends money seeking to influence British politics and and the like. I think that we are now in a new, we're in a big challenge when it comes to China and espionage, because you know, yes, the Soviet Union had, you know, the Cambridge spies, kind of huge, deep penetration of the British state in a way that we do not believe that the Chinese currently do. But I think there is a, I, but I think the grey area with China is much greater because there, there is far greater Chinese integration into the global economy and the British economy, you know, than there is 
than the Soviet Union had. So where, and I don't think any Chinese firm is independent in the way that we in the West will understand, you know, under Chinese law, they are all obliged to basically serve the Chinese state's interest when, 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 when asked to do so. And so I think this is, this is a really big challenge, how you deal with this. I mean, the, the crucial thing is, to, is that we need a, a, a concerted policy uh, in this country that will be more effective if this is uh, across the, the democratic Western world of aiming to reduce dependence on autocratic regimes such as China. Thank you, James. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening.